welcome to Season 2 of Pedagogo, the show that brings education to your ears and metamastery to your assessments. Today's episode covers cultural attunement and how students, teachers, and staff can create an open and welcoming learning environment for all. Pedagogo, brought to you by ExamSoft, the assessment software that keeps security and integrity in your exams while providing you actionable data for your outcomes. For all of the toughest testing challenges, ExamSoft has you covered. Hey, Education Nation. Welcome back to the first episode of Pedagogo Season 2. This season, we're talking equity and enablement in our classrooms, in our assessments, and in all of education's communities. To kick off this powerful season, I'm joined today by Michelle Crespo-Fierro, NYU Myers College of Nursing Clinical Assistant Professor and Fellow of the New York Academy of Medicine, and Angela Downs, law professor at UNT Dallas College of Law and assistant director of experiential education to talk about cultural attunement in the classroom. If you're new to the idea of allowing culture to inform your teaching, you'll walk away with some great ways to get started today with incorporating culture in your classroom. If you're a seasoned pro, you'll enjoy hearing my guests dive deep into the work of attunement and advocacy. No matter who you are, I think you'll be surprised to learn how much of the process of understanding our students starts with understanding ourselves. I know I was. To start us off today, take a listen to my conversation with Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. To get us started, would you share with everyone a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for for inviting me. And my name is Michelle Crespo-Fierro. I am a clinical assistant professor at NYU Myers College of Nursing. And in that role, I teach in the undergraduate program And I'm also the director of the LEAD Honors Scholars Program for our traditional students. Some of the other things that I do, I currently serve as the president of the New York chapter of the National Association of Hispanic Nurses, and I am a fellow of the New York Academy of Medicine. So, Michelle, before we get too far into cultural attunement and its manifestations in the classroom, can you help me and our listeners understand what is culture? How can we define it and relate to it? I know we we hear it discussed all the time. The beliefs, the attitudes and practices that are shared among groups and are also passed down from more experienced members of the group to newer members of the group. So elaborate practices, maybe different types of food, elaborate holidays. And and actually, we all have many cultures. So what are the customs that we grew up with? So that's usually our first culture, the one that we grow up in with our our families that we're born to Mm -hmm. or raised with. And um, there are things that have special meaning whether it's tied to what country your family comes from, what religion you practice, or just something as simple as having a Sunday or Saturday tradition of pancakes and, or, you know, I'm going to have to say something for the sports people, you know, watching football every Sunday and everybody that comes over, those are customs and traditions and that's culture. So that's like our first culture. And then when we get into school, all the things that we do in school, when we get into the workplace, there's the culture of being in that workplace 
And then also anything else that we identify with. We may have different identities and there's a culture around that. So everyone has culture. Some parts of our culture may be more prominent or more visible, but all of them determine who we are. And they're always in action in some way, shape or form. So Michelle, how can listeners begin to see or appreciate their own culture, particularly if some of our listeners believe I don't have a culture? So going back to what are those things that those activities or those beliefs or those customs that they feel define who they are. So taking some time to reflect on, you know, what are those things that are really important to me? So, you know, knowing what those things are and the importance they hold for you is the beginning of imagining that there are comparable um, activities or or practices or beliefs Mm -hmm. that are important to someone else. Absolutely. Once we've begun to do that work of identifying and understanding our own culture, how can we begin to see and understand the culture of others, particularly our students? Well, once we identify those, it then allows us to be more aware or to look for it more in in the students that that we're working with or the our colleagues that we're working with so we become a little more attuned to our own culture which then makes us better able to see culture in others and and how it may express itself i have an experience and i know it's important to me mm-hmm. and you have an experience that's important to you hmm. can you explain this to me Wow. And really an awareness of self and then a curiosity, a genuine curiosity of others are simple steps we can use. I love that. I was going to add that asking the question in that way opens the door for empathy because you're looking to really connect with them and find that, that common ground that may exist and also see where perhaps there isn't common ground and and where you can say, I I don't know. I haven't experienced that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tell me more about it. Right. Michelle, you just hit on my new favorite phrase. I'm reading Brene Brown's uh, Dare to Lead. Great book. And in that book, such (laughs) a great book, the phrase that just changed me from that book is, being able to say to someone, that hasn't been my experience. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. So Michelle, how much of someone else's culture do I as a faculty member need to understand before it can translate and show up in my classroom? I don't think that there is any course that does not require some type of information about the culture of the student. I think that there are some courses perhaps where it's more critical, particularly if it's a course where you're not just um, imparting knowledge, but you're also looking to socialize someone into the culture of that profession. You may need a little more information in that one, knowing more specifically who are the students that take 
the course, collect some statistics. Those only give you um, a place to start. You still need to do the work of asking the students who are in front of you about um, those things that are important to them um, and, and how that fits in with their culture and how they see taking your course is part of that experience. Mm-hmm. Yes, because our culture is not immediately obvious. Yeah, and so it may be that your students have checked certain boxes, but who they describe themselves as, what they describe as important to them, may be completely different or very layered and very nuanced. Now that we understand what culture is and its manifestations in our life and even the origins of culture in our lives, what is cultural attunement and where does cultural attunement in our lives matter? Cultural attunement is um, seeking that knowledge about a person's culture. So it's about going beyond what you've read, what you've experienced in the past, and or anything that you've um, known in the past about the culture, and really finding out how does the culture present for this person who's in front of you, and perhaps what other cultures they describe to that are being blended in. And so it's important for us to know that about people because we should never make an assumption about someone, their culture, their anticipated responses. And if we ever do, because we are human, we need to catch ourselves right away and apologize Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. say, let's start over because we, we will make a mistake. We'll stumble over ourselves. Of course trying to remember everything. And, and, and it's not about remembering things. It's really about connecting with people right? Um, in a way that's meaningful for both yourself and the student. You're really describing kind of humanity 101. <laughs> I feel like how to, how to listen and be with someone. Yeah. It is not something that you will get right the first time. And it's not something that you will get right the first, 50th time, you will always stumble because we are human. Can you talk to us about some of the building blocks to building cultural attunement and inversely, perhaps some of the stumbling blocks? So I think that starting out with that curiosity and and actually setting the stage, sometimes you can get some information from student demographics if you get a a student list. I know some places their names are connected to mm-hmm. their, photo roster. Exactly, their yeah. ID. If there are some things that maybe you can tell by the the student's picture, that can help you to maybe decide when you're sending out a message, um, so that everyone receives the message at the same time. So, wow. Sometimes it's something as, um, as, as simple as that, being aware of the timing of when you send something. And then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there are other ways to connect. First day of class, you can do icebreakers. You know, besides going over the syllabus, it's a way that you're connecting with them and then the peers are connecting with each other 
and seeing what they have in common, perhaps culturally as you know, members of some communities, but definitely in the culture of being a student. They'll connect that way. Right. And, and just kind of taking it from there, creating these opportunities where you connect. And those are also opportunities for you to share a little bit about yourself that, yes, you know, I, I know what that's like. You, you need to build that trust from the beginning that we have an open door policy that, you know, I, I'm here to help you, to work with you. So if you need to talk about something, come talk to me um, and, and we'll figure this out together. And to your point, no interaction is wasted. No, none at all. Okay. So Michelle, can you talk to me about a timeline um, as it relates to this semester of when or how we can um, begin this process of being culturally attuned? That first class, letting them get to know you and you creating an opportunity to get to know them. So you can use polls, which a lot of us use having minute papers are an opportunity to check in, not only that the students are, are getting the content, but then any additional uh, information about maybe how the content or even the discussion and how the discussion went. I've always um, kind of done that with students. Um, I would always ask them to complete um, some questions. I would hand out some index cards and I would say to them, please, write down your name, your email, but I would ask them, what are you interested in? What area do you want to specialize in? What do you want to get out of this class? What is something else that's really important to you or about you that you think I should know? Oh, what a great open-ended question. Always leaving time for questions. You know, you, you don't want to find yourself getting to the end of your class time, and then everybody's running out or signing off. So those opportunities there. When I was talking before about the, the syllabus, sometimes reviewing due dates is important. Perhaps there are conflicts with due dates and certain holidays. So that's also an opportunity to make adjustments if you can. And of course, it's always easier to do that in the beginning of the semester, as opposed to, you know, a, a week or so before everything is due. You know, everyone, everyone lives lives, right? Um, and they are more than just a student. So um, inviting them to let you know and keep you in the loop, if something is going on that could um, impact their ability to submit an assignment on time. Another feature that has been useful to me has been the chat functions in these online platforms for classrooms where a student can mm -hmm. message you individually if that's what they wish to do and really just letting them share what it is that experience has been, positive and or negative. Let them tell you all of it. Mm -hmm. And work with them to change things in that classroom setting. So whether it's just changing the way that you start the class or your communications, being aware of those, those little things 
the timing. It may be that that welcome email that you sent, just letting them know that you're open to what their questions are, what their experience is, and that there's a real partnership and that you've created a safe space for them. And you will work very hard to not allow trauma to happen um, in the classroom or through the syllabus or, or anything like that, that you're looking to um, mm-hmm. have that safe space for them to learn. To learn, absolutely. To really listen and to promise to learn and respond. Wonderful. Well, Michelle, again, thank you so much for your time today and your thoughtful responses. It was just a joy to talk to you and and dive into this subject. There's so much more to be said, uh, but I'm so glad we had this time together to just begin this conversation. Thank you. It's been a really great experience to do this. And it's something that is just so important um, for me as a woman of color, but also as a, a faculty person and as a parent of a student to just um, be a part of this conversation. And, and, and that's what it is. It's a conversation that we need to continue mm-hmm, to have. Mm-hmm. So thank you. I loved learning from Michelle that we are all culminations of many cultures, from our family traditions of our formative years to the culture of belonging at our present institution. Michelle walked us through how we can use information already available to us to glean information about how we might thoughtfully engage our students. The photo roster, interacting with our students through minute papers and polls, and gleaning information from their Zoom backgrounds. She shared information about how we can begin to act on the information we glean by sending class communications at a date and time sure to be seen by all, by setting due dates that are respectful of the culture of the students in our classrooms, and by inviting conversations from our students' lives into our very classrooms as we weave our curriculum with our and our students' cultures together. Now, take a listen to my conversation with Angela. My name is Professor Angela Downs, and I'm a law professor at UNT Dallas College of Law, where I teach classes in law and also am Assistant Director of Experiential Education. Could you just start us very much at square one and talk to us about what is cultural responsiveness? It's a research-based approach that makes meaningful connections between what students learn in the classroom and their cultures, languages, and life experiences. So Mm -hmm. in essence, what we're doing is we're tying all of those things together as part of the educational experience. There's an interconnectedness, and it includes cultural responsiveness, empathy, and self-evaluation. It's a lifelong commitment to self-evaluation. So it's something that you do consistently throughout your life. So you are at all aspects of your life doing that self-examination, looking inward um, and really assessing what you're doing. So it requires developing partnerships with people and groups who advocate for others. So really that's aligning yourself with, with other folks who are interested in the same agenda and really seeing and wanting to be about a positive change and having an awareness of one's own cultural identity and views about difference and the ability to learn and build on the various cultural and community norms of students 
that they're coming in contact with in their classroom. Wonderful. There's a lot of research about this. Gary Howard of Equity Institute talks about seven principles of culturally responsive teaching, affirming the students in their cultural connections, um, but by understanding the background and culture of your students, you are really going to help them thrive. Right. Um, and, and think about this, Allison. Our brains are wired to make connections. Mm-hmm. Students bring knowledge to every classroom every day, including their culture, their language, and their life experiences. Mm-hmm. With all this richness that your students are bringing, why not capitalize mm-hmm. on it? It's mm-hmm. already there. It's yours for the taking. And when we acknowledge backgrounds as assets and we foster them, we create an environment that is ripe for learning by looking and connecting the dots and bringing in and tying things in that might be real world for your students it can really foster that growth and foster that creativity in you as a professor and as an educator. Um, Do any examples come to mind of ways that you've seen this done well in the classroom? As a starting point, really take a good hard look at your syllabus. If you're a law professor, look at your cases. And that's something that's very easy. If you're um, a college professor on the university level or, or in a professional school or graduate school, What are your readings? Can you incorporate diverse authors? Um, What are the voices that are the practitioners and the folks that are generally held out in your your area of Mm -hmm. study? And is there a way to bring diverse voices into that space? If we think about some of the ways that cultural uh, culture influences our teaching and some of the things that happen, a lot of times as instructors, we have things like implicit biases, the unconscious biases that we all have within us that that influence our unconscious attitudes or stereotypes. We all have them. You can work to overcome your implicit biases. It does take work. Mm -hmm. Um, Harvard has an implicit bias test. They've got 200 plus tests that you can take. Take the test And you can recognize what you need to work on because what we want to do is we want to help students feel valued and empowered. Mm -hmm. And we can't do that if we're holding on to things, unconscious, implicit biases. We've really got to work on those things as instructors. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that resource with us. We'll be sure to share it in the show notes. So can you talk to me a little bit about how we can begin to see and understand the culture of others, specifically the students in our classroom? When we talk about cultural competency, it's going to help you and your students understand different perspectives, um, appreciate others, their strengths, and you need to really think about empathy. Empathy is really one of the greatest tools that you can use in your exploration as a professor, because it's really the ability to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes Mm -hmm. that's going to make you more open as a professor, that's going to give you the ability to recognize um, how you disseminate the information to your students to ensure that they have um, an educational experience that'll maximize their potential. Hmm. And so by doing that, you're going to be reflecting on your own identity and experiences and figuring out how those attitudes are impacting your teaching practices. So again, just kind of doing that self-reflection. 
And also another thing I want um, professors and teachers to think about is microaggressions. So it's, it's important that we really start thinking about these things. Students are saying is that they were overlooked by professors in their classrooms. Um, a lot of the students, as they were talking about their experiences that they were having in different educational institutions, um, was a challenge with microaggressions. Microaggressions are ways in which individuals are either singled out, overlooked, or ignored, or otherwise discounted based on an, an, on an unchangeable characteristic such as race or gender. And they take the form of a slight difference in language, a gesture, treatment, hmm. or even a tone of voice. Mm -hmm. And they might lead to the perception of harassment or discrimination. So one of the examples that um, students talked about was if they were in a class, if there was a Hispanic or a Latinx student in a class, um, they had experiences where um, a professor would call them by the wrong name, hmm. um, things like that. Sure. So things like that, just knowing about that, being cognizant of that, being aware of that um, is really important because we don't want to get anything in the way of the teaching that we're doing with our students because, um, you know, all of us want to do our best for our students. Absolutely. We want to show in our actions, both overt and subtle, that our students, all our students matter to us. And it sounds like the work we're called to do is to become aware of the subtle ways that we might unintentionally communicate that we feel differently about one student over another. But the good news that I hear you saying is that once we're aware of ourselves, sometimes addressing the microaggressions we unknowingly inflict on our students could be as simple as a seating chart and a conviction to learn our students' names. Absolutely. Also, another step that um, I'd like for practitioners and professors and teachers to think about is emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is really a skill set, and it's the ability to monitor one's own uh, emotions while also looking at the emotions of others. Um, to distinguish between the two, so distinguishing between your emotions and someone else's emotions, and then using this information to guide your thinking and actions. Hmm. So it's really kind of thinking about the other guy, um, being, you know, looking outside of yourself, and that's what teachers do every day. Mm -hmm. You're looking outside of yourself because we all really care about the students um, that come to us in our classroom and really ensuring that we want to do the best thing for them to ensure that they have a very rich educational experience. What are some of the ways that um, cultural responsiveness influences learning? What are some of the ways that cultural responsiveness impacts the student's ability to learn? Well, I mean, it's, it's the most important thing that cultural responsiveness does is that it creates um, a, an inclusive environment for students where they are ready to learn, where they feel as though they are being heard. Um, and it also creates rigor because there's the expectation that all students are capable of being successful in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And it's sending a very important message 
to all of your students that you value your students and that different points of view and cultures are an asset. Angela, whether it's low stakes formative assessments, you know, the questions we ask students when we're mid-lecture just to gauge student understanding in real time, or the high-stakes summative assessments, the biggies, our midterms, our final exams, and the items that appear on them. In your opinion, does culture affect assessment? And if so, in what ways? Absolutely. I, I really do believe that, that culture does play a very important role and can affect the outcomes from even low-stakes assessments to even those that are more critical for our students. You know, as we know, culture refers to the beliefs and behaviors of a specific group of people. And then cultural bias is biases that are directed towards those cultural differences. Mm-hmm. Culture and background a lot of times lead to inaccuracies of assessments. And if we look at traditional testing models and even standardized testings, mm-hmm that are intended to measure intelligence and general knowledge. They're based on the knowledge and values of a majority group of people. I see. So they can create biases against minority groups, and this includes gender, race, community status, and persons with different language backgrounds, socioeconomic status, and culture. So, you know, we've looked at this problem, and although we have alternative assessments, Um, that are considered to be more culturally fair, they're still not completely fair. So one of the things that you can look to do is to uh, employ creativity. Creativity, I think it's as important as intelligence. Mm. And those creative assessment measures, um, they can really be used to create a level playing ground. They help reduce bias and they can be added to your traditional test and alternative assessments. I asked Michelle her opinion on the effect of culture and assessments in an email following up our conversation together, and I wanted to share her thoughts with you. She shared with me, and I quote, Culture absolutely has an impact on assessments, and it does so in two ways. Culture impacts the way exams are written, and culture impacts the way students respond to and interpret the questions. As faculty, we bring our knowledge of our specialty area in our planning and teaching of the course and the design of the assessments, including exams. As we discussed before, for some content areas, we are also teaching the culture of the profession, and we use our personal experiences often to explain concepts in the classroom, and that will also come into the exam. The result is that assessment can be purposefully based on the culture of the profession through the content, and culture can find its way into the assessment through the language we use and the scenarios we use as examples for the questions. If our students are following along in class and learning the culture of the profession well, or have similar previous learning and life experiences and vocabulary, then there's not much of a problem. However, if the student has different life experiences or their vocabulary differs, then the student might not understand what is being asked in the question as you had intended. We also need to be aware that many other countries do not use objective tests like multiple choice exams and instead use essay-based exams. This requires a different way of learning, processing the content, and preparing for the exam. Some of our international students may need more time to adjust to this different assessment method to demonstrate their understanding of the material. These experiences are not exclusive to international students. Therefore, it's our responsibility as faculty 
to create assessments that reduce, if not eliminate, the use of terms and methods that depend upon a shared culture for success. We must test knowledge of content without bias. Let's get back to my conversation with Angela to hear about the roles students and all levels of an institution play as participants in these necessary conversations. Allison, as we're continuing to talk about being culturally responsive, culturally attuned in our institutions, um, one of the things that you know we've talked about briefly, but I do want to highlight again, is that all levels should be working to develop strategies for their areas of expertise to ensure that um, you have uh, higher learning institutions that are really embracing and open to a diverse population of students. Mm-hmm. But one thing I, I don't want to be lost, you know, is, as we think about those who need to be participating in this conversation, I don't want us to forget the students. Um, students should have a voice. Um, students are not a monolithic group, even within um, African-American, Latinx, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Asian um, Native American groups. So we need to hear from them to determine how best to create an environment where they can succeed. So I think we really need to be deliberate about that um, and really reach out to students because it's 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 they who are coming to these academic institutions. And we want to ensure that we are serving their needs. I love that you hit the nail on the head. That was going to be my Last question as we talk, Angela, is what is our ask of our students as we purpose to establish cultural responsiveness? What specifically could that look like to do it in a non-threatening, inviting way? Well, I mean, I think it might be something that might be perceived as threatening because I think perhaps students may have been holding in these feelings for quite some time. Hmm. So it might come out. Um, in what might be perceived as a harsh or aggressive manner. But I think the conversation needs to happen. Um, and I think we need to create a platform for students, whether that is through a listening session, whether that's through speaker series, um, you know, whether it's through a simulated exercise. Um, we've done um, all three of those things at UNT Dallas College of Law and um, received very positive feedback from students, creating a space for them and in a lot of different opportunities. But I do want folks to think about this and, and um, you know, as we're kind of reflecting on this time, um, we know that we're at a very important time in history. It's a, it's a very, not only challenging moment, but it's an opportunity for us. And so I've been thinking a lot Uh, And one of my thoughts has gone back to um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the words that he wrote in the Birmingham jail. And one of the things he said, and and this is the part that people quote, is injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Mm -hmm. But what I like is his next line. And what he says is we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we need to take away from our conversation today, Allison, that we are all tied together. Mm -hmm. We're all working on this thing together. And for us to move forward, we've got to have the, the conversations. We've got to look at our blind spots 
and we've got to move forward. Well, thank you so, so much, Angela, for your um, time today, for your candid answers, and for talking about what can be perceived as a challenging topic, but really uh, is, is just another piece of um, education, uh, creating an environment that where we can best educate our students and, and learn ourselves. So thank you so much for your time and your answers. I hope listeners have been able to walk away today feeling empowered, feeling capable, and hoping our listeners can feel like cultural responsiveness is within their grasp uh, and very much within the scope of incorporating it within their classrooms. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Allison. It's really been a pleasure to speak with you. Powerful stuff. Thank you, Michelle, and thank you, Angela, so much for your time today. I don't know about you, but I walked away with a new appreciation for the quote-unquote soft skills of empathy and emotional intelligence based on my conversations with Michelle and Angela today. Beyond making us more self-aware human beings, they are critical tools to allow us to see, really see, and hear our students, and to make space to learn about what things are important to them. Don't forget to check out the resources Angela and Michelle mentioned with us today. I know I can't wait to head over to harvard.com and look at some of the implicit bias quizzes Angela shared with us. I know it can be hard to look at ourselves and our own biases. I know absolutely it is true for me. But as educators, our heart is to advocate for, promote, lead, and champion our students. The hard work we talked about today will absolutely equip us in a way that nothing else can, to be champions of our students. My thanks to both of my guests today. Be sure to tune in next week as I speak with Lauren Wright, Wiley's Director of Program Strategy, as she talks to me about the hallmarks of a sustainable and robust virtual classroom as we emerge out of emergency remote teaching and into mid-pandemic pedagogy. See you then. Pedagogo, brought to you by ExamSoft, the assessment software that keeps security and integrity in your exams while providing you actionable data for your outcomes. For all of the toughest testing challenges, ExamSoft has you covered. This podcast was produced by Allison Case and the ExamSoft team. Audio engineering and editing by Adam Karsten and the A2K Productions crew, including me, Keely Karsten. This podcast is intended as a public service for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not a legal interpretation nor a statement of ExamSoft policy, products, or services. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of ExamSoft or any of its officials, nor does any appearance on this program imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Additionally, reference to any specific product, service, or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by ExamSoft. This podcast is the property of ExamSoft Worldwide, Inc. and is protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark laws. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission of ExamSoft.